Welcome to Candidates of Liberty, a special series from Lions of Liberty dedicated to spotlighting libertarian candidates across the country. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our newest show here on Lions of Liberty, Candidates of Liberty. This is your host for today's episode, John Odermatt. And on today's show, we are going to be talking to a libertarian candidate running for office in New Hampshire, an already elected libertarian, meaning he is running to be reelected, which is a, a very rare thing in libertarian circles. But I want to get right to this interview. Before I do that, I want to let everybody know where they can find the show notes page for today's episode. You can find it at lionsofliberty.com slash col5. And don't forget to check out our other three shows on this podcast network. Every Monday, we kick off the week with our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the libertarian movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And every Friday, we have Felony Friday, where I, John Odermatt, take a look at the broken criminal justice system. All right, let's get rolling with today's show. Brandon Finney joins me today. He is a member of the New Hampshire House of Representatives, representing Stratford County's 24th District. Now, Brandon was originally elected as a Republican, but in June of uh, 2017, he announced that he was changing his party affiliation to the Libertarian Party. Now he is up for re-election this year, uh, so he's been campaigning, and he is on the show on Candidates of Liberty to talk about his campaign, to talk about... Um, what he believes in as a libertarian. Brandon, welcome to Candidates of Liberty. Good evening, and thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. And I kind of want to jump right into, uh, I guess, sort of the juicy part of uh, of your story here. You started out as a Republican, right? So if we can kind of start at, like, what, what pushed you towards Republicans to start with? Why did you originally um, run as a Republican? Yes, this is usually the first question I ever get asked by like anybody. So uh, even even from you know from constituents that that might have had, uh, that might have even known me you know prior to campaigning again. But it's really it you know it's actually pretty simple. I've I've always kind of espoused a lot of you know small L libertarian principles. Um, but at the, at the time we didn't have ballot access in this state. Um, the age wasn't really active until the 2016 election cycle. We you know kind of got uh, you know, started up again, and then uh, so we had to wait until after the election to actually get ballot access. So I kind of had to pick the party that I had the most agreement with, and that had more of a, of an influence in the area that that I'm from. So um, it is more conservative in some parts of the city, and I figured that would have you know that might have appealed to me more as like as a candidate than than than, than the other side, which I had no real agreements with at all. Um, it was pretty easy to, to be, you know, to become a candidate on the ballot. And, uh, I originally had, I wanted to be an independent actually, but, um, they don't, you know, make things easy, uh, you know, for independent candidates to get on the ballot as a first time ever campaigning for anything. I didn't want to start off that hard to be honest with you. Like I really had no, like, you know, prior experience in politics. So this is kind of like, Hey, like I want to try it and see like what happens. And, um, so that's just kind of how it all kind of played out. And, you know, thankfully I won in my first time. So that's pretty cool. So your first time campaigning, you won. Um, 
So <laughs> what, what was that like? How hard was that to, to build up a campaign from scratch? I mean, did you know other people? Did you have mentors that helped you out? How'd you, how'd you do that? So it's, it's really a matter of getting involved in, you know, the you know, local groups in your community that, that have, um, that, you know, those kind of connections to the community where they're able to, you know, uh, recruit candidates and, and, you know, build up campaigns by just getting to know people in the area. And, and, you know, like, as I said, you know, some parts of the city are more conservative than others. And so like at least ward five is definitely a lot more conservative. So that's kind of where a lot of those people came from. And it was, it was kind of easy to have them build around me because I'm a young, you know, you know, semi-attractive dude um, where, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, you know, you know, for ego purposes, like if you were to, you know, literally walk into one of, you know, the, you know, their, their meetings that it's all like a lot of older folks, a lot of, you know, uh, retirees. And, and so like having a fresh face in there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of can, can put a, uh, a, uh, you know, jolt in their group. And so it was easy to get people to be like, Hey, like we have a new face of, of kind of like, like our party in the area. Like, you know, we, you know, we want to put up the younger candidates and whatnot. So, um, but I really didn't build my campaign off of the Republican platform. I built it off what I personally believe in is the best course of action for public policy. And that's always been my foundation since I've been in politics, since I first really, you know, started paying attention to the political process and, you know, kind of what goes on in government itself. So that's kind of talked about on the campaign trail in 2016 was not, you know, I didn't give a crap about, you know, Trump or, or, or Hillary or any of that crap. I didn't talk about it because what was happening is a lot more prevalent. It has more of an impact on people than what's happening in the federal government. So, excuse me, I, I tried to, you know, hit home that like, I, I truly believe maximizing personal freedom and I want our state to be more fiscally, uh, I, I did say fiscally conservative, but you know, we all mean that, that we, you know, we you know, want our state budgets to be, uh, you know, uh, responsible and, and, you know, to fit it within its means. And, and, um, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead here now, but like, like after I got elected, um, I found out pretty quickly that, the you know GOP in New Hampshire was is not equipped to how do I put this uh, stick to its own platform. <laughs> so so they're the like governor, the GOP everywhere else, I guess too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so we get a Republican governor for the first time in probably like twelve years, and uh, I got elected on a um, biennium uh, you know spending. Time I call it biennium spending because they're not going to you know cut spending they're going to increase spending and that's you know and that's exactly you know uh, what actually happened. The governor proposed um, a spending bill that increased spending by six hundred million dollars, and that to me it was like beyond the scope of of, of believable. You know that that's what would be presented to the people of the state who had elected a quote unquote more conservative government in the House and you know um, in the governor's office and even in the Senate. Uh, in this state. And it was really frustrating to see that course of action take place, like not long after I got elected. So, um, but that, but you know, but you know, that came around probably about like, you know, February, March time, but like even in the beginning when we started having committee hearings and, you know, house sessions in January, I was just seeing like how much, you know, infighting and, and, you know, caucusing was kind of happening within their own, their own party, you know, kind of like the LP in a lot of ways conservative wing and the Republican Party in New Hampshire called the Freedom Caucus. And those are the ones who, uh, they're, they're very conservative, you know, especially on, on fiscal issues. So 
they upped the budget pretty hard and they, they were able to, to trim some things, but there was some backdoor spending in this bill and it was just a whole mess. And I was like, this is not what I got elected to do. And I, and I don't believe in this at all. I'm not going to be in a party that's going to you know pretty much do everything the opposite of what we got elected to do. So I had a meeting with the governor, um, I want to say in April. And I said that I'm not going to vote for this. And actually I'm considering switching parties and, you know, being a newcomer, I'm not going to be anybody that, that, that they care about. Um, mm-hmm. So after all the house sessions were completed in the beginning of June, I scheduled a press conference and I gave a press conference on this, the uh, state capitol uh, steps. And I said, I'm switching parties and that's it. And I, you know, I talked about how the two parties don't control us. They don't control me. I don't believe in the establishment. I believe in the rights of the individual. And I don't, believe uh in the way government is pretty much trying to govern us it, yeah you know people said well that's you know political suicide and blah 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 but i but i look at it as you know if i'm going to get elected to public office and, and try to change things why am i going to get elected in an establishment that does everything to you know keep its own power and doesn't and, you know and does jack shit for the individual mm-hmm. and that's what kind of gets me going because I didn't run on that. I've never ran on that. I've never run on like, what's government going to do for you? I'm running on, I'm getting the government out of your life. So I'm trying to, you know, so that's what I'm talking about here. So, I mean, so you've obviously had that streak in you before you started uh, as a Republican, that this libertarian streak, this small L streak, where did that come from? Where, where did that, where'd that fire get lit? My first was an eight. Um, I was a Ron Paul guy. I think a lot of us were. It's kind of you know where, where a lot of us you know millennials, like older millennials, kind of started. Um, and I, I believed in him because he was the the only candidate to talk about getting us out of war, he, and he's the only candidate talking about abolishing federal agencies. And I was like, this dude's awesome, and I totally agree with everything he's saying. So, um, but I was pretty bummed out when he got you know, booted from the primary that year. And I ended up voting for Obama specifically to keep Sarah Palin out of office. If, if I'm going to you know, be honest about that, but I was what 2008, I was probably like 20. So I, I mean, I really didn't know like a whole lot. Like I knew enough issues. I, you know, I did a lot of background on, on both campaigns and I didn't have confidence in the Republican ticket that year. So, you know, I voted for Obama and I, and I, I bought into that bullshit and, and we saw where that, you know, that, um, eight years of his administration got us. So, um, but I, you know, it, it's a live and learn thing. And, and that's kind of like how you grow as an adult, but, um, you know, sorry for the, you know, you know, for the sidebar. Um, I actually got, uh, involved in state politics when I was uh, overseas in, in 2015, I'm still in the military and I was serving in an army unit, um, doing some engineer stuff, um, and the United Arab Emirates. And, um, I kind of saw some stuff happening back home that I was like really angry about. They had suspended the house rules to pass a bill um, to basically increase the police state, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, by, um, you know, trying to crack down on the so-called drug, you know, and and throwing more uh, addicts in jail. And then then talking about, you know, they want to go after the out-of-state dealers and whatnot. And it didn't do any of that. It was just an excuse to, you know, throw more people in jail for nonviolent crimes. So, um, I was pretty angry about that. I was pretty angry about just the shysty things that, that, that they seem to be doing. Um, and I, you know, instead of being that, that, you know, armchair keyboard warrior, I'm actually going to do, do something about it. And so 
uh, when I got home that Christmas, I had to wait until June for the filing period. And that's what, you know, I talked about getting involved in the community and going to meet people. That's kind of how that started. I started going to the meetings and getting to know people in the area and kind of like what's, what's, you know, politically savvy in the area. Um, and that's how I started. I signed up at my city clerk's office. I paid $2 and I became a candidate, you know, and it's, it's so easy to just get on a ballot here. There's so many people in the house. <laughs> wow. Obviously, you're libertarian now. I assume that a Republican has filled the uh, the vacancy you left and is running against you. And is there also a a Democrat you're running against now? Yes, yes. And and so those candidates actually came on the ballot pretty late, um, like to the point where I thought I'd be unopposed for this seat, honestly, because um, the the filing period's only like uh, like eight days, maybe like nine days that have you know for people to to file, and they didn't file until like the sixth day in. So I honestly thought that I was going to be unopposed. And, you know, prior to, to seeing people put their name on the ballot, I had meetings with the Speaker of the House. I had a meeting with the state Republican chair, the county, uh, the Stratford County Republican Committee chair. And, you know, and I kind of said, look, I kind of get why you guys would be upset with, you know, me switching parties and, and no longer being in our in the house. But you have to understand that like when I campaigned for this seat, I never lied to anybody about where I stood. I never lied to anybody about what my alliances are politically and philosophically. So you knew what you were getting when you, when you, you know, supported my, you know, in uh, my campaign to, you know, get elected for this seat. So it wouldn't make any sense for you to try to vote me out just on the merit that I'm not in your party anymore when you're going to get somebody that's not going to vote, you know, for Liberty. And that's kind of what we all talk about. Right. So I, I try to, to, to hit home that like, I, I understand that you mad that I switched parties, but I did it because the, the Republican party has proven that they're inept in governing. And I care more about the people that I, that I'm there for than my own you know, career, quote unquote. So I'm going to be politically aligned with a party or a philosophy that makes the most sense for my principles. And so that's kind of what I said. And I said, I would appreciate like not getting strong opposition from you based on the merit that you can look to see how I voted on every bill like um, in the last two years and tell me where I voted incorrectly. You know, tell me where I've been a bad vote because you're not going to get someone better than me in this seat. Um, and, you know, so I think the other two candidates might just be on the ballot just, you know, for the sake of filling the ballot. I have not seen anything from them and their campaigns. And I, you know, obviously it's still early because our primaries are all uncontested for this seat. Um, so who knows? Like after next Tuesday, the 11th, um, we'll see if they're going to start, you know, picking things up or for now, not a peep out of them. And, um, I'm hoping that that's, you know, kind of the, the course of action going forward where they're not going to campaign as hard because they're just on the ballot. Whereas me, like I'm fighting every day for everybody in these wards to, to keep me in this seat, not because I want to stay here for a long time, but because I want to keep uh, doing the work that I've started and finish what I've started and be done in 2020. Um, and that's kind of my plan. I don't, I don't plan to be here forever. I've got a life to live. Um, right. But, you know, I, but, as I'm here and I'm in state politics and, you know, and I'm a, a public figure in that way, I'm going to work my ass off for everybody that, you know, put me in Concord and, and put me in that state house and wants me to vote in their interest, you know, you know, for their freedoms and their money. 
So um, I'm going to keep protecting, you know, those, those, you know, qualities of, of um, you know, of our lives, you know, you know, you know, it, 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 you know, it all kind of comes down to like, are, are the rights that we enjoy being infringed and how much money can they take from us? That's, you know, essentially like how we deal with our governments. So I try to be as transparent as possible. I've sent out mailers. Um, I'm, you know, hitting up doors. I'm not as often as I, you know, like, you know, as I'd like to, but um, hopefully after the primary, uh, you know, I'll be able to, you know, to kind of get some more people involved to help me do that. So. What, what are some things you do uh, to promote transparency? Like, is there something, do, do you address each of your votes or is, I mean, is what, what type of, what type of things do you do? So since uh, January of this year, um, I started hosting a live stream session um, on my, uh, on my page after every house session. I, I went through the house calendar. So I've got one right here. So this, you know, so that's kind of what our house calendars uh, look like. And in these house calendars, there's all kinds of bills in here that we deal with. You know, it, it kind of gives us the, you know, committee blurbs on the bill and kind of where their stance was as to why it was voted uh, in favor or not in favor out of the committee. Um, and I, I talk about that. I talk about like what the committees, you know, said about the bill. I talked about the, you know, floor testimony. I talked about what, you know, you know, you know um, my perspective on the underlying issue on the bill. Um, and people, you know, seem to forget that you vote, you know, for a bill or, you know, um, or, or, you know, are you uh, votes to to kill a bill? It's not always about the issue that you're voting on. If you're going to vote something into law, the actual law has to make sense as it's written up. <laughs> and uh, you know, we tend to get a lot of bills that the you know the language in the bill it doesn't make any sense. It's it's not clear. It's 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 vague, and so we don't want to put something in the law that that's not going to be enforceable. Um, so I want to, you know, kind of put that out there for anybody who, who's not like, you know, like already in, in, um, like involved in the political process that it's, it's not a nay vote on the bill like as an issue. It's because the bill is probably written like crap. <laughs> so, that you know, that tends to happen. Uh, you know, uh, we have an office that, that kind of does all of that for us. Um, all the reps kind of go to the office when the, when the filing period opens, you know, and we give them an um, in a, a um, RSA, and we say, "Look, I I want to change this, I want to repeal that, or whatever." And then you know the lawyers in the office kind of draft up the language of the bill because that's you know they have to do it by by you know by the language that's written in the law in the state. And then they they kind of give us the bill, um, and we say yay or nay on the language and whatnot, and then it goes forward. So we don't actually write our own bills per se. I mean, you know, people can, you know, they mm -hmm. they. But they have to, you know, go through the office of of, of, of legislative services. So, um, so Brandon, let's uh, let's talk about. I mean, obviously, you've been in office. You're trying to get reelected for at least a couple more years here. So, you've been, probably been working on some things that are, you know, you're very passionate about, and probably want to continue working on them in the coming years here. So, just name, you know, two or three things that really are, you know, the most important um, things that you're you're working to change in your state. That's a good question. Um, well, like I, like as I was saying, uh, you know, I, I, I believe very much in transparency. So that's 
you know, kind of things I've talked about on my videos, like, you know, like on my page is like, you know, here's why I'm in office is to change this. And a lot of it has to do with the drug war. I, I would likely end that. <laughs> and we, we did a good thing by decriminalizing, you know, um, cannabis in this state. But unfortunately, we're, we're still kind of an island of prohibition in New England where we're the only state that has not fully legalized it. Um, and I was the co-sponsor on the bill to, you know, to do that. I, I presented the bill to the second house committee that the bill uh, went to. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating that they're making it such a political issue in the state that they just won't pass it. Um, so that's something I'm fighting for, not because I want to, you know, start seeing a bunch of pot smoking hippies or whatever, but that's, I mean, you know, you know that's your life. That's I'm I'm cool with that too, but you, it's, you it's, probably already you know, have idea. plenty of those. There's probably already plenty of pot smoking <laughs> hippies up in New Hampshire, but <laughs> oh yeah, but that's but that's fine. I mean, you know, they're yeah. they're peaceful people. So, um, but you know, like I don't want to give the police more power to control people's uh, behavior and 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 how they choose to um, imbibe chemicals and whatnot. And obviously, we know that our state governments enact the you know the laws, but but the police are the ones who actually enforce them. And so, um, I I think you know bills like um, the the Granite Hammer bill I talked about that that you know really sparked my interest in state politics mm-hmm. um, was kind of an expansion of police power in the state, and it all has to do with drugs and and you know the. Um, ability of people to be able to do them or not. And and as a, a former corrections officer, like most of the people that came to my jail were um, for nonviolent um, drug offenses. And, and, and to me, that was really frustrating that they're not actually committing a crime, but they're going to be, you know, be filling up a cell in my day room for not really doing anything but having a drug on them. Um, so, you know, to me, that's, you know, kind of an egregious uh, power of the government that I want to, you know, scale back and eliminate completely. Another one um, which kind of goes hand in hand is the, you know, the idea of criminal, you know, a, a, a criminal justice uh, reform, that whole system. Uh, we did some stuff with bail in the last six months, which um, has helped, but the uh, county attorneys are not really in favor of that. But I honestly don't you know, care about their opinion because their job is, is, you know, is to prosecute. So it's, it's going to make their job harder and I'm fine with that. Um, Another one is, you know, is, is actually something I've already been doing. Um, it's kind of finding obscure and like unenforceable laws that are still on the books in this state and trying to get, you know, you know trying to uh, repeal them, uh, which I have. Uh, nice. And it's, it's important because I, I think it's important to kind of clean up a lot of our, you know, our, 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 our codes and ordinances and whatnot in the state for, you know, for, you know, for things that, that don't have an impact on our current reality today. Um, I got two bills signed into law. The first one was about the use of milk containers and it was, you know, pretty much uh, decriminalizing like what stuff people can put in milk containers. It's, it's an old obscure law from I think uh, 1907. So, but it wasn't being enforced because, you know, like who's going to get, you know, going you know, put in jail for, for putting like soda or something like in a milk container. That's, that was dumb to me. So that actually passed, you know, pretty easily. Uh, excuse me. My second bill, um, which has gotten me the most press, to be honest with you. Um, I, 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 you know, I've gotten featured on, you know, on, 
you know, the reason uh, site uh, quite a bit, I've, I've, had, I've had interviews with uh, Matt Welsh uh, twice now about this bill. Um, so I put on a bill which people, you know, see it as being able to drink alcohol while performing on stage. What the bill actually did was uh, changes the employment status of entertainers like bands and comedians and whatnot who perform in this state to be considered private contractors under employment law. So, you know, so they wouldn't be subject to the same rules as employees of the venues are where they're on the clock, they're getting paid an hourly wage, they, you know, sign paperwork as an employee, as, like as we all do. Um, they can't drink on the job, but if you're an, an, you know, an entertainer, like you're kind of like your own entity, you're being contracted by the venue to perform a service and then leave. Um, mm -hmm. So there's no way really to to track that work. You're kind of just there and you go, you know. So I, I found it really arbitrary that in one part of the venue, you could be considered a, a customer and you'd be fine having a beer at the bar. And then as soon as you go like 15 feet and you go up a stage area, now you can be enforced by liquor commission in this state to say, well, now we're going to take you know a license from you to sell alcohol. We're going to fine you. We're going to shut you down. We're going to do all this, this, and that. Um, and in some places, that actually happens. I, I, I had promoters come to the committee and testify and say, look, like we can't get certain tour packages and we can't get certain bands to come here because of this stupid law. And it's not enforceable. Um, and what was funny about that was the commission actually agreed. They can't enforce it. So they're going to sign in in favor of my bill and they're going to say, yeah, like get rid of it. It's dumb. And we're like, and, and we're one of the only states in the entire country that even enforces it anyway, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm glad to, you know, to be able to scale back a power of a state agency, but also as, as someone who plays, uh, you know, I sing and I play drums and whatnot. Like, like I don't want to be told that I can't have a beer on stage, like while I'm playing when it doesn't have any like impact on my ability to play. It doesn't have any impact on, you know, like, like on the venue. It's just like that, that freedom to, to have a beer or, 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 you know, whatever kind of alcohol it is and be free. Mm -hmm. And, and now, you know, the bar owners won't be hit with this state agency coming in and, you know, and, and soiling up their, their, their place of business. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that's, um, in law. It's actually been in law for 30 days now. Nice. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. That, that law is just, just a prime example of how broken, government is even local government state government i mean people point to the federal government being insane and, and it is but it's like you said the fact that you can walk five steps okay you can have a beer here but you pick up that guitar you start playing those drums put that beer down put that beer down <laughs> yeah. stop it you stop it right <laughs> it's, exactly. it's craziness but uh yeah that's that's awesome and I, I did read that article too by uh or i guess that interview with you in, a, in reason, which is really cool. Uh, one more question for you, Brandon. Um, so it's a, it's a sort of a, a curveball question, I guess. Uh, it's not, not a gotcha question, but um, you know something yeah. to put some thought into. So there's a lot sure. of libertarian p positions out there that might be a little controversial, or that maybe or definitely libertarians differ on uh, you know the, the way they feel about it, the way they attack them, the way that they think uh, you know a more free society would be structured. So. Out of these libertarian positions um, that are maybe a little more um, ambiguous, um, are there any of them that you know you're you're not fully on board with? You know, just 
flat out, you know, always, always more Liberty? Um, yes. And, <laughs> and, and here's, you know, the current controversy in the party is the idea of the open borders policy. Um, and I get it. I really do. I, I sympathize with the idea of property rights. Obviously that's a huge part of, of where our philosophy lies, but we don't live in a utopia. Um, I've heard every argument about this, so my mind's not going to be changed on it. As long as governments exist, which they always will in America, an open borders policy does not make sense for this country. Um, you can look at what's happening in Germany and in Sweden, like a lot of places, in, um, you know, in, you know, like um, that area where, where they've opened up, you know, kind of the gates and they've let a lot of people in, and they've caused all kinds of havoc and harm uh, on people, on property, on on, on their economy. Um, I'm I'm very wary of that, you know, kind of thing happening here, which it already kind of is in some ways. Um, you know, I don't think that we're being invaded by any means, but I think that a streamlined immigration process where where people, you know, aren't like on the waiting list for like five or ten years, like you. You know, you fill an application and, and they do a background check on you and you clear and you're in. Like, it shouldn't take more than six months to get people here. But I, I think that the, the, the process that we have currently, it's, it's kind of outdated. It's, it, you know, we, we you know, need to find a better way to make it easier for people to get here. But I don't believe in completely just, you know, throwing open the, the you know, floodgates and letting everybody in. Um, and I, and I, I get the argument that you can't, restrict people's you know ability to travel and whatnot that's not what that means if you know i i might be you know somebody that still kind of believe in the end you know like in the idea of the founders um you know the you know like a nation of free individuals that's you know kind of what i believe in i don't believe in a completely like utopian anarchist you know society i just don't um i get the arguments for it but i but i look at what the reality is and i just don't see that happening here um it's an argument that I think that that we're always going to have, and you certainly are are free to do with your property how you wish. But I think like the country as a whole, they don't believe what we believe in. You know, we're we're a small fraction of society, you know, politically and philosophically. They're not going to align with that, you know, kind of idea, and they're going to, um, you know, like immediately come to any other idea that that we would have based on the idea that someone can just waltz in. And that's how they're going to see it. So I'm not going to like espouse a principle of open borders and then completely anybody that would ever vote for me. Um, that's just kind of where I stand. I'm not, you know, kind of throwing that in anybody's face or anything. I'm, I'm just saying like we have to be pragmatic about how we do the messaging to people that don't understand what we're about, uh, which is kind of funny because that's exactly like, you know, we're founded, you know, kind of on, on the same line of principles that like a lot of the founders were but people don't see that anymore. They, they see what government is now and they think that that's what we need. I don't think we need as much government as we do, um, like have now, but I, I don't believe in a complete absence of government. I think that, that the idea of a, a, a complete, uh, you know, you know, constitutional Republic that, that we were found is, is kind of how I see our country what you do as an individual is a different story. You, you still own yourself. You still own your identity. You own your body and you own your property and no one can, can take that from you. So that's, you know, kind of where I stand on, on that issue. 
Well, that's fair, and I, I appreciate the the candid response there. You know, and, and that's I think it's very it's a very split issue within the Libertarian Party, and uh, it's it's hard to argue with the fact that how can you say you want open borders when you still have this massive bureaucratic beast of a government that is giving you know giving away handouts and uh, welfare to people and really manipulating the economy? So. It's definitely a uh, definitely exactly. a good argument, but so Brandon, that's that's it for the questions. I want to give you a chance to uh, you know plug your campaign, talk about where people can donate, where they can volunteer, where they can uh, get involved in any way. All right, so you can find me on Facebook at Rep Brandon Finney. My website finneynh.com. Uh, it's you know it's the same slide slash uh, donate. It's uh, Finney, P-H-I-N-N-E-Y. Don't, don't spell it with an F. I'll be mad at you. <laughs> um, so that's, that's you know, kind of where we can – I need people to help me hit doors. Um, you know, com- compared to some areas, I'm, I'm pretty small, but I'm, I'm only one guy. So I, I, I really could use I'm, – I'm honestly good on money for now, which is a like, you know, really, you know, weird thing to say. I just, I just need bodies. So if anybody's in my area or, or would love to, to travel here and, and help me hit doors – you know, for like two days, that would be awesome. Um, but if not, I'd still support, or, or I still, you know, want your, you know, your support on, on, you know, Facebook and, and uh, Twitter, which is uh, Rep B Finney and on Twitter as well. So, um, you know, you know, I appreciate you guys having me today, and um, have a great night. All right, thanks for coming on, man. Hope you enjoyed our latest episode of Candidates of Liberty. Um, we are really enjoying doing these shows, talking to these libertarian candidates, getting to know them, getting to know about their campaigns, and what drives them to the message of liberty. So I want to encourage you guys to subscribe to the Lions of Liberty podcast so not only you get future Candidates of Liberty shows, you also get our other three shows. Every Monday, our show hosted by Mark Clare, our Wednesday show hosted by Brian McWilliams, and our Friday show that I host called Felony Friday. So please subscribe, and if you're really enjoying this content, we really want to encourage you to support us on Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We really appreciate the uh, support. Just want to thank you all for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up, and the fire is the liberty burning.